we'll find consumers that share the same values. Rather than trying to go out and say, hey, what does the market need? You know, to a large extent, we feel like we got to be the market. We're mountain bikers. What do we want to buy? We have crazy customers. You know, I mean, we call them Yeti freaks, and, and that, that's, that's because they're absolutely crazy about the brand. And, you know, I think that's, it's funny because, you know, we're, we're so committed to racing. But what they associate with is we're a Colorado brand, you know, that's built this, uh, this company that makes, that makes great product. I think there's also a whole host of people that, unlike maybe our generation, they don't care about going fast uphill on their own power. You know, it's, it's, it's the backcountry skier versus lift skier. This is the ProCo 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor, hosting ProCo 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know Colorado's entrepreneurs. And today's episode features Chris Conroy, CEO of Yeti Cycles of Golden, Colorado. Yeti makes and markets mountain bikes that are beautiful in performance and to look at. There are lots of brands and builds of mountain bikes out there. So I'm super happy to talk about Yeti, a brand that is loved and respected in the industry. Today, I'm going to be focusing with Chris on differentiating the Yeti brand in quality, innovation, design, and marketing. We'll also talk about trends in the business. And Chris, I'm glad that our mutual friend Ian McGregor of Scratch Labs connected us. He was a great guest on ProCo 360. He said you would be. All right. Thanks. Great to be here. (laughs) Yeah. And hey, before we jump in, I want to give a quick shout out to my friend Tom Green. He is a fanatical mountain biker and over beers, he helped me prep for our interview. So we'll see oh, how here we, we did. Go. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he did. Beer prep so, is always the best prep. Beer prep is the best. In fact, I saw an interview that you had done and you were holding up a beer afterwards or something. So you're not opposed. It's built into the culture. Yeah, Good. For sure. Hey, uh, give us an overview of Yeti. Yeah, so Yeti's been around a long time. We're coming up on our 40th anniversary here next year, two years. Wow. There I'd were have, mountain bikes to, 40 years ago. I'd have to do some math. But yeah, we've been around. We were um, founded in 1985. In uh, Southern California. I guess that's right. That's where I had my first mountain bike ride in Southern California, yeah. There you go. So it was in Agora Hills, and it has kind of a unique uh, background. Uh, The founder, John Parker, he was a movie set welder. And so he worked in special effects. And he was also a racer, so he's a midget car racer. Hmm. Big dude, midget Uh car racer. And um, so he was always in love with racing, and he, um, he got injured, and he decided to start making mountain bikes because he had the welding experience. And and pretty quickly, you know, in the early, mid-80s, he had one of the first professional mountain bike race teams, right? So we oh. have a, we have this great uh, legacy race heritage in our brand. Yeah. And it was because John knew straight away, hey, we got to go race these things. We got to prove them on, on mm. Sunday, right? Yeah. And so Yeti uh, is really founded as uh, the frames are made in, in Southern Cal, in, in Agora Hills. And, you know, racing was kind of the, the core of what we did. Well, you know, back then it didn't, I don't, I mean, I was around in the eighties, right? I was, I rode my first mountain bike in the eighties, but I didn't even know there was racing happening. I thought it was just sort of getting rolling. Yeah. But speak. I mean, anytime you get a bunch of clowns out doing something, somebody's going to race somebody up or down the hill, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Um, you know, so it wasn't as organized as it is now. Yeah. Uh, but racing always happens even when you're a little kid on, yeah, the, of course. on the block, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, now. You mentioned you've always been, you've had this racing heritage, but like when you think about mountain bike, the the world of mountain bikes, I mean, what is your, what is Yeti's sort of place? How do you, you know, when people think of Yeti or you want people to think of Yeti, what is that place, that niche? 
Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of unique. Racing definitely is is a big chunk of it. Um, but you know, me and Hoog, who's you know who've been running Yeti for you know since uh, 1999, you know together, so kind of a lot of years together, 20 plus years. You know, we always say about the brand that you know we have to pay deference to our past, uh, but push the brand forward, right? Because it was always about innovation. It was always about innovation that was driven yeah. through racing. That's interesting. You pay deference. I mean, when I think about the typical really like stud mountain bikers and the ones that you have like in the video, I want to talk about that on your website. Like yeah. they're in their early twenties, maybe they're 16. Like, do they really care about def, you know, paying deference to the brand? Like well, the, I, the old days? I mean, the reality is that that's our marching orders internally. Right. Mm. You know, so we have this legacy and heritage that was built by an amazing group of people that really were there when mountain biking started. And there's there's a lot of stuff that's really cool about that, but we've also seen a lot of brands from that era that are gone now. Yeah, right. And so we we kind of felt this this real burden almost of saying, okay, we got to, you know, John Parker and and the contributions of Brett Hahn and all the original racers. That's part of who we are, right? And, and we're not going to ever let that go and try mm. to push the brand in a different direction. That's part of our DNA. Mm. And the thing that's continued is pushing innovation through racing. Yeah. And also something that, um, you know, back in the day we had this group of people, we had this, this slick race side, and then we had back then what we called the tribe. We've changed the name to, mm -hmm. the, to the roots, but um, it was a group of people that just got together because they loved mountain biking, right? And so we have these gatherings every year. Yeah, I saw and, a picture of one in Crested Butte. Look cool. Yeah, it's rad. We get like 450 of our best friends yeah, together. Yeah, that's cool. Big rides and food and beers and ton of fun. Well, now I want to understand the product better because when it, like, let's start first with the distribution of your sales. Cause you've yeah. got bikes that are under $5,000. You've got them between five and 10,000. You've got them 10, even approaching $20,000 now for bikes. So how does that distribution work in, in your mix? You mean the, the models themselves or, well, or kind yeah, of like, overall? Are you selling, let's say you had a, maybe it's not a bell curve, but you were saying, okay, like what percentage are under five that you sell are under 5,000 versus 10,000 versus the $16,000 bikes, right? The sad news is we don't make one under 5,000. Ah, well, that's not sad. No, no. We sell, we sell frames starting at about 4,500 bucks mm -hmm. and our best selling model is 8,500 ish. Yeah. Um, you know, so, and that really is the top of the bell curve for us. Yeah. Um, when you start moving into e-bikes and we'll talk about that later, you know, we do have e-bikes and, and those are substantially more expensive, sure. right? Because they have a motor and battery and all that kind of stuff. So that's where you start reaching, you know, into the, into the teens. Yeah. Well, do, do people, you know, in your space, I always wonder, like, do people buy, say, a 7,000 or 8,000 for you would be a starter bike? Yeah. Do they ever buy one of those and then ultimately buy the $16,000 bike? I mean, or, or are you selling to different kinds of people in each niche and they stay in those segments. You know, I would say the the product progression is unique. When we when we talk to our customers at gatherings, oftentimes they have two, three, four yetis. And you know, we always say horses for courses, right? And each bike has uh has a different specific use, not unlike a ski quiver. Or yeah. golf clubs in your golf bag. I'm not a golfer, but yeah, that's but what I they mean, tell me. But so your customer, I mean, you really don't have any starter customers at all. They've already adopted the sport. They already love the sport. Or maybe they just have too much money burning a hole in their pocket. They're going to start biking with a $9,000 or $10,000 bike. I don't know. Or they just want the best, right? I mean, I yeah. think oftentimes people that fall into that category when they buy 
cars they buy the best they buy mountain yeah, bikes yeah yeah that makes sense all right um amazing video on your website super cool beautifully produced it shows your bikes in action i'm never going to go off a cliff do a backflip 50 feet in the air and if i did i'd never land it but you know should watching that video make me want to buy a yeti kind of did yeah there are a few different things right i mean there's there's aspirational you know yeah. i think we can all appreciate athletes doing what they do at the best level, right? Kind yeah. of getting in that zone. And, um, you know, that can be a speed thing. Sometimes it's, you know, uh, read bugs dropping off of a huge cliff or, um, you know, so there's a lot of different reasons for that. But I think a lot of the reason we do that is one, we want to celebrate the athletes, hmm. but also, um, it shows the capability of the product. So, you know, one thing, when I watched that video, it was beautiful and it was in- very impressive, like really impressive. And then I, th- I get the impression that if I went to any high-end mountain bike, and I did go to a couple of others, manufacturers, they have similar kinds of videos, right? So when you think about delivering a video like that, like, how is it differentiated? How is it different? Yeah, that, that's a great question. And, and the history of that is, uh, is even more interesting because, you know, back when we, when we were racing, um, you know, in the, you know, in the 2000s, um, you know, what was happening in the media was, was kind of trailing off on covering racing, right? And certainly there's always a difference between gravity, cross-country, and, and then you had road on the other side. Well, Lance Armstrong, you know, was tearing it up, yeah. and there was a lot of media there, um, and they stopped covering mountain bike racing. And this is very early on, and we decided to start making video press releases. Hmm. And a video press release was essentially what you now see as a clip-down movie, and, um, you know, we've had some of the best creatives in the industry, uh, work at Yeti full time. So they started at Yeti and have moved on and, what and a fun job for them. What a great, you know, what a great thing for us as well. I mean, some, some super talented people have rolled through our program. And so we've always tried to stay on the cutting edge of video and content yeah. production. We were very early on to the game there. And I'm not sure which video you're watching, but it was probably Craig Grant's uh, riding off cliffs. Uh, yeah, there it was. And I don't know where it was. Could have been Moab. I'm not sure, but, uh, it, that was sort of what the terrain looked like. Right. And he went down this hill and he hit a lip and he did a massive yeah. slow backflip and landed. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. Reed Boggs. And, and, oh my God. And Craig Grant, who produced that mm. shot it, did all the heavy lifting on that oh, was, was our creative director for decade plus. So did he, did he land that the first time? Um, I, I'm uh, trying to remember. Like you, couldn't, seen, you couldn't miss that too many times and still keep going. I was it the think. one th- that he hit right before he got announced that he, he made I it did. into Rampage? Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. That was his first time on wow. that. Wow, oh that. my God, yeah. crazy. Now, I still, I'm still curious about, about the number of players in the market and yeah. how you differentiate. Like, it seems almost that, excuse me for dwelling on this, pricing almost is kind of like the same across the board. Like, you know, your frames are your frames, but then you package it with certain levels of, of, of gear system and yeah. brake and shocks, especially. Right. And, and so it's certain sort of packages, like different competitors have similar sort of packages. Is that fair to say? And yeah, I think it's fair to say there, you know, there really are two suspension manufacturers of any size, you know, rock shocks and, and Fox, yeah. you have SRAM and Shimano on the component side. You know, you're fairly limited in certain categories. I think one of the most important things we know as a brand is that we want our bikes to ride a certain way. 
And for us, when you start talking about suspension, you start talking about kinematics. And kinematics are really what make the suspension work. It's the magic in our bikes. Mm. And you know, we've had an innovation called Switch Infinity and later Six Infinity or yeah. Sixfinity that we run in, in our bikes and, and it's markedly different. And, you know, the, the way that the bike rides when you're going uphill, it's super efficient mm. and it opens up when you're going downhill, but it still gives you enough support that you're not blowing through the travels. So yeah. Now I want to ask you about switch in just a second. First, I want to remind listeners, this is Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Chris Conroy, CEO of Yeti Cycles. And so I'm really interested in the notion of sort of like other brands riding along on Yeti, right? And so you've got a Yeti bike with Shimano or who you yeah. use Shimano, you know, with Fox. And it made me think about some interviews I've had in the past where like with like Boa, for yeah. example, the dial. And people go into a store and they want Boa boots, which yeah. drives certain manufacturers crazy. They course, want a Gore-Tex yeah. coat which drives other manufacturers crazy, right? Yeah. How do you manage to maintain your brand ownership when you've got these other brands riding along top? Yeah, I mean, it's a unique thing with Fox. We were the first race team that raced with Fox, and we have this legacy uh, in relationship with those guys that they're, they're kind of part of the team, right? And so when we were coming up with the Switch Infinity, we we own all the patents and all the everything associated with that technology. Oh, really? So, yeah. But it's just powered by Fox. Yeah, that was the interesting thing, right? So the way that we first built that, you know, it's 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 two different stanchions and a and a pivot that moves up and mm -hmm. down. We actually took one of their suspension seat posts and we cut it up. And when we were making our prototype, we used that, and then we called we called them up. I mean, uh. the, the first test mules are, are pretty <laughs> are pretty <laughs> cobbled together, and. We put it together and we we said, okay, this works really well. They know bushings, they know seals, they know everything about stuff sliding up and down, right? Because that's what they do. And so we approached Fox and said, hey, we have this concept, we have this idea, we want you guys to manufacture it for us. Uh -huh. um, and because it was something that looked different and was you know relatively novel in the mountain bike industry, we thought partnering with a brand that had um, considerable knowledge in that category would be best. And they actually used parts from their off-road racing division stuff that was up underneath the carriage of a truck, right? Mm. And uh, it wound up being a really durable, um, easy to manufacture, well, easy for us because yeah. they manufacture it. Well, they make it. it, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it was another one of those things where the racing partnership paid off in a product that made our racers faster. That's super cool. You've got to have a fair amount of trust, you know, to, to work with a company like that, right? I mean, a long history and... And, uh, I would think it'd be kind of scary though, to have your, I don't know, have your patent powered by someone else. Well, we're the only ones who run the system, right? It's not available widely on the market. So Fox can't sell it anywhere else. Right. I uh, got it. So it's, it's a unique relationship and it's unique for a company our size to be able to get, you know, the, the attention of Fox, you know, Fox's several billion dollar company mm -hmm. and, and we're just, you know, little Yeti in Colorado. That's super cool though. Yeah, it's really awesome. cool. So I suppose that opens the door for further innovation. And I, and I want to talk about innovation because it seemed like early, and this makes perfect sense, early in the mountain bike uh, uh, evolution, that there were massive changes really quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, huge things. I mean, heck, the first mountain bike, first one I had was fully hard. 
you know, a hardtail, hard front, everything. Yeah. And then, right, then you go to front, then you go to full suspension, then you go all kinds of disc brakes. Now it seems like um, maybe innovation is, you know, not the huge leaps. Is that accurate or what are you seeing? Yeah, I think it depends on what category you're looking at. Yeah, I think it's move categories. There's a lot of huge leaps on, on e-bikes and, and kind of the technologies yeah. over there. I think um, some of the categories have settled out, right? You know, for, for so long, you know, it's there was cross-country riding, and that was the only thing. You went up the hill and you went down the hill. Mm-hmm. And then there's gravity-fueled, you know, so you had four across and downhill. And, uh, and now you have enduro, which is kind of a combination of cross-country and, and downhill. Uh, you still have downhill, yeah, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you have free riding, you know, where people are doing the stuff like you were talking about earlier. Um, you know, so there are different expressions in our sport and there's different product mm-hmm. for that. And a lot of times it's driven by what the athlete needs to do their sport better. It, so, for example, the free, what you call it? Free, free ride. ride. Uh-huh. Yeah. I mean, people were, I'm guessing that people innovated and then products were created like people started doing things like somersaults and all kinds of other yeah, stuff right. using bikes that weren't really made for that. And then you had to create a bike to do it. Same thing with downhill, probably. Yeah. I mean, I think that's true in a lot of innovations. I mean, you look at formula racing, you know, that's exactly what it is, right? Um, you know, it's, it's, how do we, how do we make our racers go faster? How do we make our athletes better at what they do? Hmm. They push us all the time, right? You know, they might say, Hey, when I'm going through this section, X, Y, Z is happening. Sometimes that's a shock tune. Sometimes that's a full product innovation. Sometimes, um, you know, we have to start all over again. Hmm. And and I think that's one of the cool things about um, developing product, you know, through athletes, through your race team. And, and of course, everyone at Yeti is a hardcore mountain biker. And, you know, we shut her down every day for an hour and a half. Really? Yeah, it's over Base and Golden, you know, because we're right there next to Apex and five other trailheads. And we get product feedback all the time from our staff. And, um, you know, we, we always say we make bikes that we want to ride. Yeah. And uh, we, we think if we do that, we'll find consumers that share the same values. Yeah. Rather than trying to go out and say, hey, what does the market need? You know, yeah. to a large extent, we feel like we got to be the market. We're mountain bikers. What do we want to ride? And then we can find people that share the same. Can interest. customers come meet you at the store and go ride? Absolutely. Yeah, really? we have factory demos that, you know, were shut off for a couple of years because of COVID, but now they're back on and, um, you know, they'll come by and sometimes they'll come by at 1130 and say, hey, I want to ride with the team. And Really? And we're big enough now that it's not just 1130 to one. Yeah. We have, you know, a few different, fa- you know, f- staggered rides that go out because we don't want to everybody show up in the trail and be like, ah, oh, the Yeti guys are all Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we, we've broken it up a little bit, but, you know, anywhere from... 10.30 to, you know, 1.30 on any given day, people will be going out and we love riding with customers. That's cool. Well, do you have to go gentle or are the customers usually as hardcore as you guys? Well, it depends, right? I mean, sometimes they're, they're total shredders and, and, you know, we, we kind of gauge that up front yeah. and yeah. then we say, okay, I, I think I know who you want to ride with. And yeah. If I showed up, I think you'd, yeah, you'd send me some, you'd send me off with the the easy, the green trails. We have plenty of great riders, so we can, <laughs> you know, we can do, uh, we can go any pace. And uh, when it gets really rowdy, I'll definitely send it with some of our younger crew that, yeah, yeah, that yeah. can really get after it. That's cool. Uh, I want to talk about some of the big changes happening. First, I, I do want to thank our sponsors. This is Proco 360. 
named Best Colorado Business Podcast 2021 and 2022. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. This is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. I'm speaking with Chris Conroy, CEO of Yeti Cycles. I want to thank our sponsors, Kinsley Meetings. Kinsley Meetings is our longest running sponsor at Proco 360. Really appreciate them. Also, via technologies, appreciate you guys for hosting Proco 360 and all the help your great team gives me around managing the website. Uh, finally, Colorado Biz Magazine. Our partnership is one of building our audiences together. Go to Proco360.com to check out these sponsors. And I want to talk about, yeah, some of these sea changes that we've seen. One of them, though, before we get to the e-bikes, which I do want to get to, yep. has to do with, you know, you said mountain biking started in California in the 80s. I get it. Well, Maybe not. It depends on who you ask, right? I think ah. Crested Butte would uh, definitely throw their hat in the ring. And, you know, in, in Northern California, some of the early... Marin. So I'm going to say that it started in the mid-80s, and I'm not going to go with where. You know, actually, it started in the late 70s when I was riding my three-speed Schwinn there through you go. the woods. The, the clunkers, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It depends on so, when you start calling it a mountain bike. Well, it wasn't a mountain bike, but I rode it in the woods. It was so yeah. much fun. Um, and and um, it, But I want to talk about this idea, too, that it's become, okay, whether it's Crested Butte or California— it started in the United States. It grew in the United yep. States, but now it's become like a big international thing. Even international races, and you know, are being won by people who are not from the United States, right? For sure. So, have, has Yeti then changed its distribution model and everything else to appeal and to to sell outside of the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, forty percent of our sales are international, so uh, a pretty significant amount, and that's that's been a long time that way. Yep. And uh, you're absolutely right. The the mountain bike market is is exploded, you know, kind of worldwide you know, since its inception yeah. way back when. And I would think at your market segment, you know, the high-end the high end bike, that basically, whether it's in Europe or it's in the U.S., they're all buying the same. They want the same kind of quality, the same kind of ride, or is it different? Are there different needs in different places in the world? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I think I always liken, um, you know, U.S. mountain bikes, you know, this is where it all started. This is the cradle uh, of mountain biking, right? And when I think about other product categories that might have similarities you think about beautifully designed cars, you probably say, I want to look at an Italian car. You, you want a really fast one you can ride on the Autobahn, yeah. you probably want a German car, right? Hmm. And, and I, say, I think it's the same uh, also in mountain bikes um, where you, you want a great watch, it's a Swiss watch, right? And I think mountain bikes have the same thing, and U.S. brands have been on the cutting edge of innovation, and hmm. I'm unabashedly uh, proud of the U.S. bike industry uh, and say that they continue to lead uh, the mountain bike industry worldwide. And, and I know frames are made all over the world, especially in low, in low cost centers, but yours are made in the U S no, we, we manufacture everything overseas. You do. All right. So, but the engineering, the innovation that's, that's U S based. It is, you know, it's interesting because forever we we manufactured frames in the U S and then one by one, everybody started moving thing over, uh, everything overseas. And when I say one by one, I'm talking about Easton then was made in Taiwan. You know, so even the tubing that we used mm-hmm. to get out of the U.S., so all of a yeah. sudden you were just welding it and, uh, and painting it in the U.S. And, yeah. and we found, and then hydroforming came, you know, which made really cool shapes out of tubes when you started seeing. Oh, is that how you, is, this, is that the process that changes the tube from round to something else? Right, when it's aluminum, right? Ah, yeah. And, and so when that technology went overseas, then, you know, that's really when we made the move. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing is when we started this, um, you know, back in 99, we were 12 people, including production. 
Um, mm. And now we're 80, 80 plus. Yeah. It changes every day. So I'm going to say yeah, 80 yeah. plus, but I, I was going to say 85, but something like that. Yeah. Well, and, and to circle back before I, I jump off this topic, the you, you, what defines Yeti when you've got other components coming into it is both the frame and also what how you how you blend it how you put it all together to create the ride and that's what makes it, you special it, it really is all those things so it's it's frame um kinematics you know we talked about the suspension yeah, yeah. it's also geometry you know we were pretty early to having different geometry on the bike mm-hmm. and that determines how the front end handles that determines how it corners that depends or determines how it might feel in the air when so it's you on patent the ground. all that stuff we can don't you patent, patent geometry? You can't patent geometry, mm. um, you know, but because we were approaching it from a gravity perspective for so long, you know, we introduced long, slack, and low geometries to bikes that hadn't traditionally had that, right? You know, cross-country bikes used to be, um, you know, some would say precise, others would say skittish. Yeah. And, you know, we, we put slacker head angles on them back in 2000. What is that? So the front end of the bike, you know, imagine um, if you have... If you have a bike that has a steeper head angle, it gives you a different steering geometry and it makes it feel, it's, it's easier to get around, say, a switchback. But when you start opening it up on the downhill, it feels a little skittish. Mm. And so we kind of slackened that out, meaning we made it less steep and uh, changed the ride characteristic. And that's something that kind of Yeti has been known for for a long time. Wow. And that it illustrates really sort of why why a high performance bicycle uh, a rider would want a different model for different purposes. Right. And that's also, uh, you know, a, an innovation that wouldn't have come from going to the market, you know, in a traditional market uh, study and saying, Hey, you know, what are you guys looking for? Because it was an observation we made as mountain bikers, made the modification change, welded it up in our factory in golden, took it out and like, this is, this is pretty all right. Huh. This, this ride's great. Yeah, that's cool. So people could, other brands can copy Yeti, but they'll still be, you're still innovating. So whatever they've copied, you're, you're past. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where when you're a high end manufacturer and we're kind of the highest of the high end mm. right now in the industry, you know, we have this motto internally that we're as good as our last product mm. and we live and die by that because you have to be better than everything out there. And so for us, we have this super competitive staff. Everybody wants to have the best product. And I think um, I think that's critical for our long-term success. So, you know, you, and so what, talk about when you say you want to have the best product, obviously people who are buying Yeti yeah. are buying it because they believe you have the best product and they probably, you mentioned aspirational earlier in our conversation, they yeah. probably want to have some kind of brand connection to what they perceive as the best product in the market, right? I mean, do you hear that from your customers? Yeah, we, we have crazy customers. You know I mean? We call them <laughs> Yeti freaks and, and that, that's... That's because they're absolutely crazy about the brand. And, you know, I think that's, it's funny because, you know, we're, we're so committed to racing and producing products through racing. I'd say 80% of our, you know, the real Yeti freaks and fans could care less about racing. Um, but what they associate with is we're a Colorado brand, you know, that's built this, uh, this company that makes, that makes great product. Yeah. And also the people that surround us. I mean, we win because we have the best people in the industry and I firmly believe that. So you think, 20% 20% of Yeti purchasers really are hardcore racers. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, yeah right. I, I mean, mean, 
I, I mean, I, I said that they care about racing. They care, yeah, yeah. But they care. They probably care about performance anyway. Well, it's interesting. A lot of them would probably know who Richie Root is. And Richie Root, for those that don't know, is multidiscipline world champion uh, that's raced for us since he's 16. Wow. And they'll know him because they watch him, you know, in some of the, the movies and films you, you referenced earlier. And he's, and he's an amazing human being, too. Really, really super good kid. And they might have run into him at a gathering or at a race. And, and I think one of the things about our company is, you know, we try to be very approachable. And if you bang up to the Yeti pits, you know, with your bike, our mechanic's going to stop and talk to you. And uh, you do that at a demo. And our demo riders yeah. are going to stop and talk to you and stoke you're there. So, that's super cool. Yeah, it's, it's kind of an extended family for us. Yeah, that's, what it's, that's kind of what I was thinking as you were describing that. So now... You've got enthusiasts. They love your brand. They love how beautiful the bike is and how well it performs. So what do you do when e-bikes come along? And they just seem like cheater bikes. Well, uh, they have come along. Yeah. <laughs> and and they're, they're here in full force. You know, it's funny. We came out with an e-bike a couple of years ago. And, you know, we were pretty late to the game relative to, you know, following trends in the bike yeah. business. And for us, you know, we, we wanted to make sure we did it right. And, you know, again, are you sure that was it? Or you just like hesitated? Cause like it's, it doesn't, it almost seems like sacrilegious. It does until you throw a leg over one. Right. And I, you know, I saw a guy, um, and I was riding with this, my friend, Tom, who, who I mentioned early in the show yeah. and we're in some beautiful woods. I can't even remember where we were. And we came across this guy who was clearly over 70 years old and he's riding an e-mountain bike. Yeah. And until that, him. yes. And he, and I asked him about it and he goes, you know, I had both my knees replaced and I'm 70, whatever he was. Yeah. He goes, without this bike, I couldn't be out here enjoying what I'm enjoying. I'm like, okay, that gave me a whole different appreciation for what any bike can do. Yeah, but I, I don't think it's just aging out mountain bikers or aging out athletes. Uh, I think that sells it short. I think there's also a whole host of people that, unlike maybe our generation, they don't care about going fast uphill on their own power. You know, it's 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 the backcountry skier versus lift skier. And if you have mm. a bike that has a motor on it and they're worried more about or not worried, they're they're stoked about going downhill and shredding and, and tearing it up and being all about skills rather than fitness, it, it also is appealing to a younger crowd as well. That's interesting. And are you seeing that? Oh, absolutely. Wow. Okay, you're helping me appreciate it from a different perspective. Yeah, I mean, I think it sells it short just to say it's it's for old people that can't ride anymore, right? Because, you know, I mean... It, <laughs> but, you know, your comparison is really an interesting one. The, you know, the the AT skier versus the downhill skier. Like, right. I don't I don't think I'm cheating by riding a lift and then skiing down. Like, yeah. it's just the sport. For sure. And and that, that comparison is quite interesting. Huh. Okay. Um, now I want to get off topic because I did some research to find out if Yeti bikes and Yeti coolers are the same company. One place said hell yes. Hell no. One place said yes. The other place said no. So the answer is no. i hell no. Hell no. Really? So what's <laughs> the story with that? Like I said, we've been around since 85. Yeah. They haven't. Um, you know, we actually know the guys at, at coolers uh, fairly well. And, um, you know, we kind of respect what they do. And, and as we started to see the brands converging, you know, meaning there was some, there was some confusion in the marketplace well, about yeah. exactly what we talked about. Yeah. You know, we, we called those guys and said, Hey, you know, let's, let's make sure we all stay in our own lane. 
And we kind of figured out how to do that. And, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job of, of kind of maintaining where the brands exist. Mm. You know, we're, we're a mountain bike brand. We never yeah. want to be a cooler brand and we don't want to make tumblers, right? <laughs> you well, know, yeah. Except, you know, when it comes to even things like gear, related gear, branded gear, yeah. uh, you know, I mean, there's, I mean, you probably do have coffee cups with Yeti brand on it, don't you? With your Yeti brand? Uh, we don't. No. You don't. All right. Uh, so do you think we it's stay causing, in our lane. All right, that's good. So has <laughs> it, is it going to cause you any confusion? I mean, do you think it's going to be like a, a sustainable thing? This, you know, separate I, brands? I, I think both brands will continue to thrive. Yeah. And, and I think that, you know, confusion could happen in the marketplace, but we operate in such different categories. Yeah. That, um, you know, that I, that I don't think yeah. it's going to affect either one of the brands. Well, thanks for indulging me on that. I, oh, yeah. It's funny, too, because the, the, the research showed, like, I got two different answers. And one of them even gave a history of the founders, the, the founder of, the same, of both of you, which was in common, which is incorrect. Yeah. All right. So. Sounds um, like chat GPT steered I, you wrong. No, it wasn't that. It was, <laughs> I think, it, I don't know what it was. But anyway, um, so your Colorado base, is there a reason yeah. that you started in Colorado? We didn't start in you Colorado. Didn't start, you started in California. That's or, but here's the interesting yeah. story about how Yeti got to Colorado. So um, first world championships in mountain bike racing was in Durango, Colorado huh. in 1990. And, uh, and Yeti, Julie Furtado, famous racer for Yeti, she won the first world championships um, aboard a Yeti in Durango. The Yeti crew, John Parker and, and all the guys from Southern Cal, Brett Hahn and all the guys that, uh, that founded the company, they uh, they were stoked on Durango, and they moved the company to Durango mm. in 1991. And you know, during that time in the early to mid 90s, the the entire it feel it felt to me like not being in Durango during that time. Um, the whole industry revolved around what was happening in Durango because there was cutting edge racing, you know, kind of the the iconic Yeti turquoise and yellow bikes, and and the, the famous racers back then, Miles Rockwell, Missy Giovi. Um, John Tomac. I mean, the list goes on and on, right? Um, it, it really was a special time. And so Yeti being based in Durango at that time and later moved to Golden, we have deep Colorado history. Yeah. And uh, we're here still because we love riding mountain bikes in our backyard. And That's it, cool. It was a great place for it. Yeah. So you think of staying Golden then? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, if we ever decided we weren't going to live next to a trailhead, there would be revolt at Yeti. We lose half the staff cool. for sure. Well, so all right. Last question: What is yep. uh, you know? We talked about a bunch of trends that you've that you've ad adopted to you know, adopted or you've created e-bikes. But what's next? Like, what are you seeing emerging now that wouldn't be a secret? But like in a year or two, we're all going to see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think e-bikes the obvious one, right? You know, the the motors are going to get smaller. They're going to get more powerful. Batteries are going to get smaller. They're going to get you know more power density out of a battery. Mm -hmm. Um, so you're going to see all that stuff. So e-bikes will look more like regular mountain bikes and they'll have, they'll have more juice, right? Mm. You know, so that's already in the horizon and, and that's no secret. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond that, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of electronic things that I think, you know, the integration between smartphones and, and bikes and even apparel to a certain extent, mm. you're already starting to see some of that stuff, um, I think there's a lot, a lot of upside, you know, yeah. to what's going on. I think there also could be a situation where you have bikes moving in a more, um, 
manual direction, right? You know, so if you think of, of everything becoming high tech, I think there's yeah. also going to be somebody in the, uh, in the mountain bike world that, that wants none of that, right? They want their bike to be shifted with derailleur cables, not batteries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I think that'll continue. There, there'll always be somebody who wants to get away from it all. And when they want to get away from it all, they want to have anything electric, right? They just want to have something that gets them from here to there, just like when mountain biking started. Yeah. Yeah, that'll be a, that it strikes me that that'll be a tiny niche uh, going forward. I mean, technology seems to always advance. So interesting that you bring up uh, electronics, obviously electronic shifters and uh, are brakes electric now? No, hydraulic. I, uh, okay. So what's next to be electric? Well, you're already seeing suspension, you know, that's, that's. Really? Yeah, it really is, is anticipating the terrain, you know, based on accelerometers and all sorts wow. of other stuff and. Huh. You know, so, so that exists, um, now as it is, you know, still needs to be refined, but But it'll become common. Yeah, it could be right. I mean, think of anything that's happened on a high end car, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. or a high end truck. And, and those are things that have applications in some way, your pieces of it in mountain biking. And are, you must have a, a segment that's willing to pay for whatever seems functional. Like, you know, if you can create it, you can put it on a bike and it seems useful. There are always people will buy it. Right. Yeah. I mean, there has to be a reason for it. You know, we don't do anything gimmicky, you know, we don't, we don't try to put a flashing light on a bike, you know, so that people say, Oh, that makes my skis more damp when I go really fast kind of <laughs> yeah, thing. Yeah. Um, you know, but if it's a real innovation yeah, and it makes mountain bikers faster, we're all about it. Cool. Well, let's wrap up there. Yeah. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. Today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Chris Conroy, CEO of Yeti Cycles. Wow, I'm glad you could come join me in the studio. It, it would have it would have been fun to do it on a bike, but sound probably wouldn't work out. Yeah, next time. Yeah, next time. I do want to go join you for a ride. Oh, yeah, It'll be should. a slow one, but That's we'll go. Fun. All right. Hey, listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make this show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. If you haven't yet, it's a huge help if you submit a review in your app. Thanks again to show sponsors via Technologies, Kinsley Meetings, and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's the show. Live, work, love Colorado. 